Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. I'm also the Managing Director of Beach Square. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of this podcast is really, really simple. We want to help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability, and I get to learn along with you. In this episode, we'll be discussing how to lead on behaviour in a school or college. My guest is Adele Bates. Adele is a behaviour and education specialist. She empowers schools and teachers to support pupils with behavioural needs and SEMH to thrive within their education. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make, and we help schools this for such a wide range of abilities and ages. And if you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, then we can help. And did you know you can also use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing leading on behaviour in a school or college. My guest is Adele Bates. Adele is a behaviour and education specialist. She empowers schools to support people with behavioural needs and SEMH to thrive with their education. She has taught for over 20 years and she's currently researching behaviour and inclusion for Finland, Dominican Republic and Costa Rica. And she's also the book of Miss I Don't Give Up, Engaging with Challenge Behaviour in Schools. I can't say the swear word, you have to warning on. So welcome to the show, Adele. Hello. Just to be clear, that wasn't Dale just like passing wind. He was, <laughs> it sounded like you were having a burp. <laughs> I wasn't. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel rubbish. Thank you. I just didn't want to say the S, S word. The S word. Oh, yes. The title of my book is Miss I Don't Give a Bleep. Yes. <laughs> I have a, if you listen, 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 ready? Hang on. I've got to, hang on. I'll do that again. I have a lovely machine here, which I mentioned to you before. I can just go. <laughs> wow. It does nothing else, and that might not even get it into the recording. But yeah, I've got lots of different... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I quite like that one. But uh, I, don't think I could add a, like a, an a expletive button in there, but I just can't be bothered, and I always forget how to use it, so I won't do that. But yes, yes, there is a swear word in the name of your book, which I won't say on here. We always have to stick a warning up on the podcast, so I don't do that. Right, behaviour, leading on behaviour. So behaviour in schools and colleges is an extremely complex issue, as we all know with various different schools of thought, mostly quite strict in this country. And schools can really struggle to get that consistent approach because they're getting loads of stuff thrown at them. What is it they do? Mm -hmm. Is that it? What do they do, Adele? What do they do? (laughs) Come on, solve it all. Solve it all. You've got 45 minutes. Go. (laughs) Well, just follow my magic method. One, two, three. It's exactly not the approach, (laughs) basically. I think you have picked up on something integral to this to begin with which is that it is complex. And the reason it's complex is because it depends on context. So I'd like to give an example. This sounds a little bit like I'm talking about something else, but it, it pulls back in. I'm in love with someone, right? And let's say I happen to be engaged with them, to them even. 
And in this country, that is more or less celebrated slash treated neutrally, right? If I go to my partner's country, that engagement suddenly becomes illegal. If I go to 11 countries in this world, I could be given the death penalty for that engagement. Now, the behaviour is exactly the same. The context of that behaviour changes and therefore the rules, the punishments, etc, etc, changes. My partner happens to be female. That's how we, that's how we roll. So I think this is a really useful piece that we can then put into schools. So, for example, I'm an English teacher, performing arts teacher by trade. If you bounce a ball in my English classroom, that's not appropriate. I might have to give you consequences, have a stern word, whatever it is. If you bounce that ball in your basketball lesson, that's probably a good thing. If you bounce that ball in an exam room, possibly you fail. I don't know. I need to research this. Can you fail your exams for bouncing a ball in the exam room? But if you do it in science, it could be a good thing. Exactly. So what I think is very, very important to remember here, it was interesting. I once saw um, a social media message by the person who is um, supposedly guiding the government around behaviour in schools. And he put that he was saying, like, you know, what what could be the kind of absolutes for behaviour across the world? And my response was, how can we possibly, possibly even start to unpick that? Because well, we all need to breathe and we all need to listen and we all need to be able to re- receive, sorry, listen. We need to receive information. We need to share information. Yeah, that'll do. That's the, that'll that's do. the okay, three. Okay, Del's got a sorted tick, right. Yeah, that's, that's the level we should come down to. <laughs> yeah, we can't go anything above that to me. Yeah. Because it's so varied in every country. Exactly. And we've got the other side of this, which is, I am not saying we don't have rules. I'm not saying we don't have routines or boundaries. These are integral to our school's community. They keep us safe, okay? They, and especially when you're talking about your young people who have behaviour needs, the ones who you'll see more frequently on your behaviour points list or whatever it is you've got. We need structures. We need boundaries. We need routines. And it's, I think what, where we get unstuck is we think that either we've got to be disciplined and have zero tolerance or we build relationships positively and have um, engaging environments. Like It seems to be that social media, government, the rhetoric around, dare I say it, hashtag edutwitter, it's very divisive. It's very binary. Yep. And I think that what's interesting is often it's assumed that I am on one particular side. And in fact, what I strive to do mostly is to say it's not either or. It can't possibly be either or. Here's another example. So my previous career, I was an opera singer, right? I was once in an opera that was four hours long in Italian. Now, I don't speak Italian. And the way that I had to learn the lyrics for that opera was by rote learning. I had to have a lot of self-discipline, a lot of repetition, and I had to like (laughs) program a structure to make myself do it, right? I wasn't going to learn those lyrics by group work. That wasn't going to be the method that was going to work. In contrast, when we were creating the opera, I needed to work with other people. I needed to collaborate with the other musicians, the the other actors, the other singers, the director, all the things. And so it's exactly the same in our schools. Sometimes concentrating on helping young people learn the skills of self-discipline is incredibly important. I'm thinking about 
here's a wonderful example. I get asked this a lot around silence. You know, how should silence be used? I've got a blog post all about it. You can read, read all about it on my website. But in a nutshell, should kids be silent in schools? And it's, the answer is yes and no, and it depends. I believe as an adult in the society that we happen to be, this Western British society, I'm even going to say European, haha. I believe it is useful to help young people know how to have the self-discipline to be quiet during a two-minute silence that we have as our international silences, or to be silent perhaps during a funeral, or to be, you know, I think it's helpful if I am teaching those skills. And it is not necessarily an indicator. If I have a classroom full of silent children, this is really important, it's not necessarily an indicator that they're learning anything. They could just be complying. Or, like I used to in my music, be sleeping. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your <laughs> I was quiet. Dale. There you go. I was quiet. Exactly. And so this is why that point you said, it's so complex. So if we set a blanket rule, silence in the corridors, for example, it might be that sometimes that's a necessary regulator for everybody. Maybe something, I don't know, everyone's just had... PE and all the kids are fruity and they need to calm down. And maybe what we've done is a breathing exercise. We've helped them stretch. And maybe they're silent because they're thinking they've been given a task to look out for, I don't know, like something to do with their next lesson as they walk down the corridor. That might be a useful way of using silence to encourage learning. If we are just blanketly saying, be silent in the corridor, what are we actually doing? We're just creating an environment in which people are scared to make a noise. Well, that doesn't sound very conducive to learning. We create an environment in which those who struggle with silence, and there will be mental health reasons for that, there'll be SEND reasons for that, there'll be trauma-informed reasons, there's all sorts of reasons. So we are, what, we're going to punish them when they can't achieve it, but we're not going to help them do it. We're also then discouraging communication, collaboration with peers, learning how to get on with each other. So it's like nothing is, and I think this is the thing, nothing is clear cut. And so then the question comes, okay, Adele, I get all that, but what are our school rules? (laughs) Like, I get all that, but what's our behaviour policy? I look look at the world of work, okay? And you look at the world of work and over the last 15 years, Lots of people try to take headphones into the office. They either plug them into their computer and listen to online radio, or they take their phone and they're listening to music because that helps them concentrate. And depending on what you do, that's great. But if you're on the phone constantly, you can't do that. Exactly. Yeah? But it depends. And what you find is each kind of little team in their office, little area, will find a way that works for them. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, I have just have to know that John, who sits opposite me, I have to stand up, get his eye contact, and he'll take his headphone off. Yeah. Yeah. He's not actually always listening to music. He sometimes just has his headphones on, so he gets left alone. But we find our own ways of working, and especially since COVID, lots of people have gone, I like working from home. It works for me. Now, I don't think we've got it right. I, I personally think hybrid working is a whole social thing, and there's benefits both ways. I, I'm a hybrid person, but I actually prefer being in an office because it helps me with my, I'm here to work, rather than I'll get distracted by the cats or anything else mm-hmm. at home. What's out the window? <laughs> So I, for me, I help having that rigidity of routine, but that works for me. But I also accept that it doesn't work for everyone else here. Mm-hmm. 
And that's saying we look at this world of work, and we're going, well, we could kind of use this in school. But the bit that schools have is we're all adults and we've learned how we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Children haven't learned that yet. So there's that part, which means you've got to kind of go, we can't just do that. They've got to learn things. And also you're trying to develop those social communication skills as well. So there's a load of stuff in, but yeah, it's a really strange time with school that especially with the kind of ideas that are being floated around zero tolerance, that you're kind of creating this horrible, everyone marching in silence in time and just creating conformity and no free thinking this is what we want but that's not what industry want that isn't what anyone the moment they leave gcses even not even a levels once you leave gcses no one wants that it's interesting our higher education you know the people further up on the education system and employees are both saying we're getting young people who can't think no problem and, and, solving, no creativity, yeah. nothing. And if we think about the actual troubles of the world, climate change, war, etc., what do we need? Do we need people who can regurgitate facts to do that? Or do we need people who are able to collaborate with people who may be different from them, who may have different values, who we may struggle to work with? My argument, again, would be we need both. We need those people who've got the facts. We need the scientists. We need the researchers. And we need to have the skills that we can collaborate and, and work together as well. And it's, it's this idea that there's only one way that's, that's higher than the other, which baffles me. And I need to listen to Adele and be persuaded that she's completely wrong, which is not the case. But it is it. it's being able to get that information in, think about it, process it, and how do I respond to that? Whereas at the moment, they just learn how to answer 10-mark questions. I think, uh, just to come back to the zero tolerance thing, again, I think it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a weird phrase in itself. And what does it mean? And I think this is the other thing. If you're going to put something like that in a school policy or behaviour policy, what does it actually mean? Because, for example, in my classroom when I'm teaching, I believe that I have zero tolerance around racism, for example. If I see or hear anything that might be racist, we stop this is just how I roll. I'm not saying this is what everyone should do, but I stop the whole lesson. We unpick that. We have a teaching point. We have a learning point. We look at what's going on. We look at where those things have come from, why it is, why that might be useful, why it might be really hurtful. Because I believe we have a zero tolerance. I believe I have a zero tolerance that I try and share around racism. Now, what that doesn't mean is I just tell them off and it's the end and they get the behavior points. What it does mean is that we have difficult conversations. And this applies to myself as well. Sometimes I can be racist because I was brought up in a racist society with systemic problems. The same with homophobia, transphobia, biphobia. There are systemic things that we've all grown up with within a society, whichever society or context you're in. I'm a white woman, an English speaking, educated white woman in a country that we know systemically favours white people. We have less barriers. And so there's no two ways about it. There'll be things that I do and say sometimes that will be a product of that. And so if I really truly want zero tolerance around racism, I have to look at myself and I have to have awkward conversations. And I have to have my colleagues or friends say to me, you know how you approach that? You know how you said that? 
that is because of the, the point of privilege that you're coming from. Let me unpick this. Let me let me share different experiences with you so that you can understand this better. And then that's what I do with my children. Now, that is very, 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 very different from zero tolerance. Now you've got detention. Now you're excluded. There's, and I think this is my this is what I deeply, deeply encourage around any form of behavior, school wide approaches is, yes, you have your whatever it is, non-negotiables, your rules, that the structure in which you create the safety and boundaries. And there's got to be an and, because if you don't, all you're doing is creating compliance, resentment, and if you're lucky, a bit of rebellion. (laughs) I was about to say, you either get compliance or rebellion. And I always went down the rebellion route. My mum always used to say, don't you dare. And that just, in my head, oh, you're daring me. I'm going to do it then. It just, it just was a red rag to a ball to me as a child. But no, it is. And I think privilege, white privilege, male, male privilege, all of that. But people go, oh, I don't have a privilege. It's like, yo, what it just means is you're not aware. Mm-hmm. You're not aware of certain things. You go into situations without being aware. And there are so many things that, so many little things, we talk about it in the office and things like that, little, tiny little things where I will get treated differently to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's because they know I'm the boss and they might treat the next yep. person completely differently, mm-hmm. which I hate. I hate that. So I generally, if I introduce myself, I don't tell you what my role is. I'm just Dale from B squared. You make of it what you will, but I don't put my thing in because then people change. When you give them a job title, it changes. I don't like that. It's, you either take me as I am mm-hmm. without me giving you a job title. Yeah, I don't have three letters after my name or any more letters. I don't have a degree or anything. I am Dale. You either take me as I am or go away. It was very interesting. So I was straight until I was 27. And then I felt I happened to fall in love with someone who was woman shaped. And the it's, it's been absolutely incredible to experience society from the majority and then go to the minority, a discriminated minority. It's I thought I was a good ally to the LGBT plus community. Oh, wow. You know. And it's, it is that thing of, I can't take it for granted that I'm safe if I walk down the street holding hands with my partner. Yes. Now the law, the rules of the land, tell me that I'm safe. Tell me that it's equal. The Equality Act 2010, although it is still not equal, there are lots of issues with the Equality Act, but anyway, we'll go on to that another, another time, (laughs) but particularly towards our trans community. But the law, the rules say... And this is coming back to kind of behaviour policies and things that schools creating. The rules say that I am safe in this country. I have equal, you know, my rights are the same as your rights, Dale. My rights are, sorry, I just assumed you were straight. Sorry. Yep. My rights are the same now as they were 11 years ago. But, but in reality. There, there's a bit of bias. You yes. made an assumption about me without knowing anything about me. Exactly. It's the way life works. It is. As soon as you do that, that's what you do. So you see someone walk in. You make assumptions, and that's what we've got to slowly. We were brought up with these things. I think. Yeah? I think. Let's not. We've got to be careful. We've the reason we've got these assumptions is because it's how our brain works. Our brain compartmentalizes for shortcuts, and actually, it's a really useful strategy and a very clever thing that our brain does. Because what it going back to those saber toothed tigers. I meet a saber toothed tiger, so my brain remembers saber toothed tiger can be dangerous. So I put it in the dangerous part of my brain, which helps me prepare for it in the future. But of course, then switch that with the kid from that estate. I told a kid from that estate last year, 
and they were a nightmare. Oh, I've got a kid from that estate. So my brain neurologically has a negative bias towards that kid before they've even done anything. That affects how I will behave. It will affect how then the child behaves around me. Now, that is all human. And I believe as educators, as school leaders, we need to be constantly checking ourselves. So, for example, I know that I have a bias. We all do. But I know that one of my biases, unsurprising, I love the underdog. So if I'm teaching a mixed ability, quote unquote, mixed ability class, I am more likely to ignore the young people who are getting on with it, complying, doing really well. I am more likely to spend more time with those young people who have the behaviour needs. Now, hence why I'm doing the job I'm doing. But what I do have to be careful if I am, because I teach across mainstream and alternative provision, pupil referral units, special schools, I have to watch that. Another really weird bias that I have, which is just bizarre, I discovered this by getting kids to observe me and to tally charts for me. I got them to write down who I asked questions to the most, who answered the most, who I spoke to the most, and if it was about learning or something else. And it turns out the children in the classroom who sit on my left, I am more likely to ignore. (laughs) Whoever those children are, whatever the characteristics, I'm right-handed. As I stand in a space, I lead with the right side of my body. And the three or four kids who are sat on that desk are literally in my blind spot. It is. I've I've heard about this. It's like you write on the board, you finish writing and you turn around and pivot Mm -hmm. and you can kind of see three quarters of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's where you focus. Mm -hmm. There's this bit on the left. You don't. And it's this thing. When you're writing, it is. It's a very historic thing. You do that you and you rotate around to your left and you kind of, I can see most. Yeah, that is a well. So that's a very physical example. Now let's take it to behavior and inclusion and you know, bringing everybody in across the whole school, a really good place to start is to look at your data. Who gets the most behavior points? Who gets the most reward points? Yep. And is there a pattern? I'm working with a school at the moment who, oh, this is just so brilliant. They're just so great. It's Triorki School, yeah, a tiny little village called Triorki in, in, the, in the valleys in Wales. And they are just doing some brilliant practice around this. So they, they noticed that their behavior points were going up, right? And often that's as a school where we stop, we go, okay, behavior's going up, we need to clamp down, let's put an intervention in. I know, let's talk about uniform. (laughs) It's it's kind of sometimes the uh, the pattern that goes. But what they did instead is they took it a step further. And they said, right, the behavior points are increasing. Let's see by whom. And it turned out they had this pattern of year nine girls. Year nine girls who were getting most of the behavior points for the entire school. And it had never been year nine girls before. The trend had always been boys, sometimes year nine. But the, to have this kind of really particular group of year nine girls, they realised that if they're going to do any intervention to, inverted commas, crack down on behaviour, a blanket approach across the school wouldn't have helped. Waste of time. Exactly. What they needed to do is get really, really specific. So I talk about this a lot, both on an individual level with a pupil, but also across a whole school community. If you are just treating the kind of top level thing, you're only ever going to get so far, right? We've got behavior points increasing. We need to crack down on behavior. I know, let's do assembly on, let's do an assembly on the school rules, right? What's going to happen in that is the conscientious students will get their nicks in a twist. 
and start going, oh my goodness, I thought I was doing that. And what if I'm breaking the rules? That's what your conscientious students do. So you're inserting some more anxiety into them. Useful. And the kids who aren't complying with those rules, they're not going to listen. No. They're not going to listen. So what this school did is they started to observe these year nine girls, this particular group, and they discovered within the year nine girls, then there was actually six who were then getting most of the the behavior points within that. And then with those six, they've started to do individual work and they've discovered things like there's stuff cracking off for these girls, there's stuff going on with home life. They're really struggling with anger issues and all sorts of things that they found. So now, radical idea, folks. They are supporting these young people with tools so that the young people can learn how to manage their own behavior to be appropriate in the different contexts. And guess what? The behavior points go down. I remember a time, I think I'm going to say about 15 years ago, where secondary schools really went quite big on pastoral care. To me, they finally learned to improve our math scores. We don't just teach more maths. Mm. We work out what's going on in their lives, support that, and by osmosis, the maths improves Mm -hmm. because they can concentrate. And I was like, we've got there. And then as budgets have cut, that pastoral side has disappeared again. Mm -hmm. And now we're left with schools who are just going, let's do more maths Mm -hmm. and let's crack down. And it's, it's, we need to do the opposite. And it is, data is everything. Data is everything. Data-based decision-making, evidence-based decision-making, mm-hmm. yeah? yeah? It is all there. Collect your data. When you are, your year six kids are struggling in writing, you don't just keep doing writing. You work out what part of writing, and then you focus on that part they're struggling with. But you also know with the, in primary schools, you invite all your parents in for your, your SATs evenings. Mm. And the same parents come along. The parents who don't need to come along, yeah. but it's the conscientious ones who are worried, as you said, they're the ones who probably they're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the ones you're trying to reach don't come in. Absolutely. And it, you've got to change. Okay. So what can we do? Can we engage them? What's the reason they don't come in? It's, it's changing your thinking from we've given them the opportunities to how do we meet them where they are? One of the phrases that I find really useful, which is why I advocate for behavior needs an SEMH as an SEMD is you're looking for the barrier to learning and then you're either trying to help the kid remove it or you're building a bridge over it, under it or around it. So, okay, let's say this kid's just had to move in with their grandparents because parents have split up. There's all sorts of stuff going on at home. I can't change that as their geography teacher that I see once a fortnight. I can't. But what I can do is have a seating plan in which I invite the kids to try sitting in a place where they feel they can focus most on their learning. And actually at this time, this kid just needs to be able to stare out the window occasionally just to calm themselves down. And you know what? That kid can do that. And my lesson still works. I've adapted and differentiated. I've removed a tiny barrier. I mean, this kid's going through all sorts of, you know, I can't solve that. But what I can do is remove barriers within my classroom, within my school. So I think that that's a very useful phrase that I think when we get again into the binary of pastoral or not and that, 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 if we look at it as a learning barrier, then actually it makes sense that we remove it because why wouldn't we? Definitely. There's one school that I worked with actually in Costa Rica, uh, no, Dominican Republic, sorry, that's, it was a school called The Hive um, with The Hive Global um, International Organization. And I spent a month over there. I was both observing the school and I was leading behaviour training for the staff for the whole month. 
And this school is a self-directed learning space. And it's run by a brilliant woman called Kate McAllister, who wrote Fear is the Mind Killer with Dr. James Mannion. And what they do at the start of every day is they invite both the staff and the pupils to do what they need to do in order to regulate themselves so they're ready to learn. So for some kids, that looks like climbing a tree. For other kids, it looks like running around madly with a football. For other kids, it looks like having some breakfast. For other kids, they just want to get on and they just want to, you know, they're ready. They want to learn. And so that's how they start every day. And it's a, and it's a very physical, biological thing. It's how is my heart rate doing? If my heart rate is really fast, that's usually a sign that I am excited or anxious or scared. What can I do to regulate my heartbeat so that I can calm my neurons down in my brain so that I'm ready to learn? So that that part in my brain, the prefrontal cortex that takes in new information for learning, that reflects, analyzes, is very rational, that part that we need for learning information is accessible. That part is not accessible if my heart's beating really fast because I've just run to school because I was late and I missed breakfast. And I mean, we were talking about it before we recorded. It's like, what does my body need? If you, ha- well, if you have young people in your room who are menstruating, they may be literally sitting in pain slash bleeding slash worrying about bleeding on the chair. Now, if that's going on, it's going to be really hard for me to concentrate on your trigonometry. Yep. It just, there's so many things. You go back to the iceberg, there's what you're seeing and all that stuff underneath that is worrying them, impacting their life and all of this. And you just see the top bit, the bit that's visible, which is that behavior, the communicating in a really bad way. But it's kind of, that's how it comes out. And you're just seeing this and that's what you then respond to. You don't see all the stuff that has led there. I think, though, it's important to say, I am not advocate. I mean, in an ideal world, yes, but then there's reality. And there's particularly the British education system at the moment does not have the space for this. We don't have the space to learn every kid's cousin's second best football team on a blue moon. There's, there's li- the way the system is built right now, it, it doesn't allow for that. And so I think it's really important, and I write about this in my book, it's about having space within our learning environments for young people to be able to have the tools to regulate themselves. It's not us necessarily needing to know every single detail. And I think there's, no. there's, there's kind of a balance because often I'll have, you know, I have teachers saying that's all well and good in, a, in an ideal world, Adele, but I teach over 200 kids a week because I teach art to year seven in a big mainstream comp, you know. So how do I do it? And there are really simple strategies you can do. I share a few on my website. You can have a look, but one of them is using the register as a check-in so that we start bringing in useful language around how we're feeling and what do we need, basically. How are we feeling? What do we need? It's like right now, tell you what, I'm going to practice what I preach, Dale. I've finished my water and I'm thirsty. I'm going to get some water. (laughs) She's just leaving me to podcast on my own. I came with a cup of tea, so I'm fine. Oh, where should I go? I can talk about anything while Adele's not listening. It's great. But zero, zero tolerance is, yeah, as Adele said, zero tolerance is, are we talking about zero tolerance mean punishment or zero tolerance means supporting them when they don't understand? 
So you left me. Yeah, I did. I, you, you, I left you, and you have no idea what I said. No, you have no idea what I said. But the question I'd like to ask, though, and I want to find out what you did say, is: Did the world end because I went and got some water? <laughs> no, I literally went. I've got no idea what to say based on what you've just said, which isn't going to be a question that you need to answer. Because mm. mm. I understood that if I had you get and go, what do you think of there? And you just sat down and gone. I couldn't do that. So I had to fill in mm-hmm. with something that didn't require a response from you. Yeah. So there was a couple of seconds where I just went, oh, Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, th- okay. I'm not saying that was the best example and we should all do that. But no, but no, that is a great example. <laughs> the reason is when I podcast with someone, I expect them to always be there. That's funny. Isn't I it? don't expect them to disappear. <laughs> When you go into school mm-hmm. and you're expecting one thing mm-hmm. and that isn't there, mm-hmm. that child is going to react. I've got a lot of things I can pull on, yeah? But if that child's not regulated and they go in and that form tutor who's really could, or it just helps them settle, isn't there. Or they're going in and, oh, we're not doing that today because of this. We're going to do a test instead. Yeah. The unexpected. Yeah. Is like, ah, oh, doing a test. And I'm somebody who's quite fle- flexible and just like, oh, most people aren't. Mm-hmm. Most people don't like change. And then there are some who really struggle with change. Yeah. So, yeah, it was to me, that was a great example of you've set all the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rules are we're podcasting, <laughs> accepting, you do that, then you have just left. So, if I'm a child and you're telling me all these rules and we, we have an understanding of these rules and you've just broken them, mm-hmm. What does that tell me? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And then also on the other side, it's like, I know I will be better at answering your questions if I'm not thirsty, right? It's, it's a real yes. basic need. And, you know, possibly I could have communicated with you better and listened to your opinion a little bit more, you know? However, it's like the world didn't end. And I think no. what you're talking about change is really key, isn't it? Especially when we're talking about autistic children or young people with social, emotional, mental health issues, and and adults as well. I think, again, we, and what I saw in the hive in the Dominican Republic is they also supported young people with change. Because we know change is going to happen. And yes, some of us are really rigid and are going to panic if we suddenly have a test put on us. But also, we do have to prepare these young people for the world, which is a changeable place and so what i saw in the dominican republic was they i mean i won't go into all of it but they they used this system in which they talked about are they in the attic are they in the living room are they in the basement and essentially if you're in the attic you're kind of in the red zone you're all highty and possibly overexcited or aggressive that kind of thing if you're in the basement you are shutting down you are lethargic you're closing possibly going into depression and if you're in the living room you, you know, you're there, you're ready to learn. And so what they do within their education structure is they support the fact that as human beings, we will transition through all of these spaces. That's part of the yep. human experience. Their aim is not to force everybody to be in the living room all the time, because that's not going to work, because we're humans, right? 
And whether your kids woke you up last night, whether you are going through menopause, whether you are worrying about your finances, whether you just had some racial abuse on the way to work, whatever's happened will will determine whereabouts you are. You can be anywhere, but what this structure does within uh, that Kate supports in this school is about how do we regulate ourselves and how do we help the young people around us to do the same in order that, and this is why I was so keen to work with them, in order that we are making the most positive influence we can on our community. So whether that community is me as the teacher or me as the school leader, working out how to work with myself, my own reactions, my own regulations, so that when I'm in that staff meeting, I can be supportive. I can be constructive. I can think of solutions. I can listen and collaborate. And therefore, then those teachers, then when they go into work with the pupils, they will are going to have more tools to do that with the pupils. And then it kind of goes on and on. And this particular school in the Dominican Republic, they used their curriculum was the sustain, sustainability goals. There are 17 sustainability goals. So each term or half term, they looked at a different one and the schools would do a project around that because the the thinking is, how is this affecting me and how is this affecting the people around me? And when you start asking that question of your own behaviour, you can't then not think about things like, how does it affect my environment if I'm not recycling? How does it affect my environment if I'm mean to a shopkeeper because there was a queue? How can I help my local community with the issue they've got around supporting homeless people? And it was just incredible to see that this very, very simple practice that starts with where am I? What do I need in order to be able to learn and communicate with those around me? It starts on this really micro level that each child is investigating every single day within the curriculum. But then it just goes macro into okay, how are we going to solve climate crisis? <laughs> it's it's quite incredible. But it is, it's, it's relevance of learning. Mm. Why am I learning mm. this? The relevance, why am I learning the Inspector Calls book in my GCSE? Dale, because it's a modern text and it's on the syllabus. Air quoting. <laughs> there we go. Because I said so. That's what she, that's what, that's what Dale just said. Because I said yeah. so. Why there's just so many things I, I struggle with the secondary curriculum that I would say the secondary curriculum probably hasn't changed much since I no. was in school in the 90s. The world has changed. Hugely. The areas we're looking at should be changing. The technology is changing. Yeah. And what we have is a curriculum and a load of stuff which isn't relevant to those children. Yeah. What you will find is if you take an Arsenal supporter mm-hmm. to an Arsenal football match. Yeah. And he needs a toilet. Or she, yep. Or she, at the 70th minute. Oh, yes. And he can't wait. Yes. He's going to go to the toilet and he's going to do it all quickly and come straight back. Yeah. yeah. If something is relevant and interesting, if they need a toilet, they're going to go to the toilet. They'll go, can I hold on to this or not? Yeah. Can I wait another 20 minutes or not? And they'll get it done and they'll be back quickly. As soon as you're literally in the most boring thing in the world mm-hmm. and literally going to the toilet is more interesting, as is anything in the corridor on the way back. Yes. 
You are not going to hold it in. Yeah. And you are not going to rush back. And I know I'm comparing a football match and that, but that relevance, yeah? If I am learning something I'm interested in, if I am learning something that's going to make a difference in my life and I can see that. Yes. And Rishi Sunak talking about doing maths till he's 18, completely agree. However, completely different maths. Mm-hmm. Useful maths, practical maths, maths I'm going to use and I will see in the world around me maths and I'm there. But I did A-level at maths and further maths. Mm-hmm. What a waste of two years of my life. Oh. Apart from the statistics and the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And that is that practical side, the probability. Yeah. The understanding, gravity, things like that. Loved it, useful, practical. Pure mass, complete waste of time. For you. If you love pure for mass. You. Yeah. That's a but for the general public, in what I have done in the twenty odd years since then, mm-hmm. it hasn't been relevant. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff I've done, yeah, from a school hasn't really been relevant until I think about not topic, what topic was I doing? What skills did I learn when I was investigating? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the skills I use every day. And going back to the modern system, we don't, we're not doing those ed- investigation. We're not doing the problem solving. We're not going, what makes me tick? Go do a project. I remember I probably well, year five, go do a project on an explorer over the summer holidays. Mm. Yeah. Any explorer. Yeah, so you can even pick the area you like in the world or the maybe the method they used to get there or the period they did it or something. Yeah. Or you've, you had the freedom. And then when you did that project, I'm going to do it on him. But what am I going to do about him? I had that freedom to find what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And I would go and be and do it. And two kids might do the same explorer, mm-hmm. but end up with two very different projects because they – and I loved that. And I look at my kids today and going, what is going on? I don't understand what you're doing. And my daughters don't understand apart from even in A-level, she goes, oh, in my nine mark, I've got this, in my three mark. What was that question? I don't know. Was I remembered mm-hmm. the questions I was answering. Yes. My daughter will tell you that the first question was a three mark, or the second yeah. question was a six mark, yeah. or a, but won't remember what the question was. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. That is... I think you've you've said something really key, which is relevance. You haven't said we need interesting, engaging lessons or singing or dancing with bells and whistles. That's not no. that is not practical or realistic, especially in Britain. So I would share a, a short story with you, and I think this is just incredible. I was doing, I think I was cover teaching or something. I don't know. It just wasn't my class. I just remember it just wasn't my class. And the bell went for us to go. We'd done a double period of revision, geography. It was like really like, I think I was covering. Anyway, the bell went. I went to let the kids out. The handle came off in my hand. The handle to the door (laughs) came off in my hand. I was locked in the room with 35 year 11s, right? And the bell had gone. Now, in this moment, this this is so exemplary of what we've been talking about. No matter how teenagery they were, in that moment, they're kids. And they looked at the adult in the room to assess the danger, right? So the first thing I noticed was that I had to keep calm. If I'd have gone, oh my goodness, da 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 then I'd just all have heightened that classroom. And at this point, I had no idea how long I would be stuck in a classroom with 35, 50 to 16-year-olds after a double period of revision. So the first thing was that I consciously did the best that I could to remain calm so that they knew that they were safe, right? And and 
if you're in mainstream, you might think safe might be a bit of an extreme word, but okay, comfortable, you know, and I did, I didn't know those kids. I don't know what their experiences are like. So what I did next is I said, okay, we're going to sort out how we're going to escape from this classroom. But meanwhile, let's, let's do something. Let's, you know, let's use this time. I said, we're going to sort that out, but let's entertain ourselves meanwhile. So I'm going to go and work out how we're going to get out of the room. I said, but how about you all have a discussion and a vote? You can organize it yourselves. What do you want to learn about? I'll teach you anything that I know. What do you want to learn about? So then I went to the door and luckily it had a window and this little kid was looking past, so I knocked and I kind of waved this door handle at him trying to mime of like, we're stuck, the door handle's gone. <laughs> and he's like, this, okay, this woman. Anyway, so I left him to go and try and find, I was like, go and find someone. And he, and then he came back with a senior leader woman who was really distressed by the whole thing. She was really flapping. She stood outside the window going, oh no, oh no, flapping, flapping, flapping. And I was like, it's okay. We're okay. But if you could like mend the door so that it opens, that would be ideal. So we all tra- were kind of miming this through the window. By this point, the kids had decided what they wanted to learn about. They, I'd let them do their own voting and democratic decision. And they came up to me and they said, Miss, we'd like to learn about taxes. Taxes. I gave them the option of anything in the world they wanted to learn about taxes. And I said, okay, fine. I'd been self-employed running my own business previous to that work. So I knew a bit. (laughs) I am not a maths teacher and I'm not a financial advisor. And I put all these caveats in. I said, but here's my experience. So then we set up a discussion around I explained what council tax was, I explained what income tax was, what VAT was. And then we started getting into these debates. They were like, hang on a minute, miss. So like, I'll pay money into this, but I might not use that service, but I'm paying for it. I said, yeah, that's how it works in this country. And they were saying, but this person might not pay into it because they can't, because they're on low income or whatever, but they might get to use the service for free. I was like, yeah. And then we started getting into these ethical, moral debates about it. And I said, okay, so here's an example. Let's say Billy, and I pointed at this kid who looked terrified. I said, let's say Billy has 10 kids. And Billy's face just went like, oh, completely white. (laughs) This 15-year-old Billy was not ready to have 10 kids. But I said, let's say Billy has 10 kids. And so the question is, should we be paying for Billy's kids' education? And we had that debate around how the taxes should be used and schools and the money for schools and things like that. And of course, the the different arguments went backwards and forwards, for and against. And one of the kids said to me, Miss, this is actually really hard. And I said, yeah. I said, this, in a nutshell, is kind of like Parliament. These are the things that we are debating as adults. This is why it goes wrong. This is why we fall out. This is why there's rewards. This is why, because these things are not clear cut. It's not easy. There are not easy answers. Unlike a lot of the way that we present education to our kids is the idea that here's the answer, even in English. I mean, don't even get me started about the English GCSE syllabus. But anyway, we present it as if there's a right and wrong answer. And then when they don't get it right, they get upset. But what I'd invited them to do is to go that there literally is no right or wrong answer. It's depending on context, it's depending on society, it's depending on so many things. But isn't it just incredible? 
that when they're locked in a classroom with a teacher, the thing that they request is something that is going to be relevant to them. It's taxes. It's the most boring topic there is, probably. Well, in one way, yes, but it ended up not being. And then by the end, luckily, the caretaker came. <laughs> I have to just let you know, we did get out. The caretaker came and managed to jiggly poke the, the handle and we did get out of the classroom. But I like, if you Google 15 things I wish I learnt in school, taxes is always top of the list. Basic DIY. Oh, yes. Various things like that are in there. And it is quite fascinating how many things you learn in your secondary school life that actually has no relevance in your life. If you're a historian, doing history is important and things like that. And I get all that. But we really should be changing what we do to be more relevant to the current world. Mm, Absolutely. And then we get around the question of why my kids are motivated and why we've got so many behaviour problems. And this is what I saw in Finland as well. Now, the Finnish approach to education is not utopia. And I think that's important to say. I think sometimes we can put certain countries on a pedestal. From what I, I spent another month over there, I did that in January. If you're listening, folks, I'd never recommend going to Finland in January if you're British it was really, really dark. And uh, that affected me way more than I thought it was going to. Anyway, I visited various schools. I interviewed the equivalent of like local authority leaders in education. I was in Helsinki. So I was lucky enough to speak to some national experts in education as well, as well as I was teaching. I was team teaching. I was interviewing students. I kind of got a full range. If you want to know more, we're not going to go into it all now, but if you want to know more about that research, you can find my Finnish blogs on my website. But one of the what amazes me is their national curriculum their national curriculum has the kind of you know for one of a better word targets of what they're aiming for for their children's education and one of them is know how to make themselves happy content have a really high well-being because finland recognizes if you have a population who are able to look after themselves or know how to get support when they need it, then you're less likely to have all the kind of, you know, negative things that are associated with it. And also one of the other things is that the young people come out of their education knowing how to access learning that they want to do. So what they recognise in Finland is it's not the content that is necessarily important, especially now. We can get information at the drop of a hat press of a button but what is important is giving the young people tools to be able to get the the stuff that they need that's relevant for them and also to be able to have that critical eye you know so that you are looking for things like media bias or propaganda or whatever it is and it just fascinated me so just to give a very very brief overview in the 1970s Finland entirely re um revolutionized their education system their social justice system and their health system and the reason for this was because they had a huge shadow of control from russia that had ended and they 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 consciously wanted to then rebuild finland from a finnish point of view like what is good for finnish people rather than what have we been doing from russian influence so it took i think it was about 7 years of they had all sorts of experts in education come together debates like what is education for what is our aim when the young people come out what do we want them to know what do we want them to be able to be who do we want them to be in society etc cetera, etc cetera. and it was a big long drawn out process 
But what it means is, in Finland, their education system was created in the 70s. Our education system in Britain was created in the Victorian times. And like a lot of our other Victorian systems, for example, plumbing, the railway, it needs a little rejig. (laughs) More than a little. And what I'm seeing, and this comes back to the behaviour approaches in your school, when you're looking at your behaviour policies, I can help you with that, by the way. I don't want to go into it now. But when you're looking at things like this, the structure that is in place that has the systemic bias that, that means that a child with SEND is 10 times more likely to be excluded that means a child of black, uh, a boy, sorry, of black Caribbean heritage is more likely to be excluded. A child who is a gypsy Roma traveller is more likely to be excluded. When we look at these things in behaviour, we are looking at a Victorian system. Yep. And then we wonder why it's not quite fitting for 2023. Definitely. I just had a quick thing, look at uh, things I wish I learned in school. And one of them was I love was there's more than one path. Life. Mm. Oh my goodness! Like, there's these little tiny little things which yes. say just like a Facebook quote, but you don't understand that when you're 14. No. You have to get a GCSE, you have to get A levels, and you have to get a degree, and then you go do this. If you're not, you are a failure. Yeah, a load of rubbish. Well, it's outdated but- because that's the information. Say, like I was definitely given that rhetoric, but that was coming from adults. Like, for example, who had a job for life or at least a profession for life. Yes. And that's not what that's not what the workplace is anymore. No. And it is just so many things change. And it is. And that's the thing. I think basically what we're saying is behavior is not a problem if people want to be there. It's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's a if, yeah. And primary school, you've got so much more flexibility on that secondary school you have that secondary curriculum you have to churn through and it is horrible and that is the problem we're in is you do have a place that children don't want to be in now and you've now got to work out how do we make this i'm just going to stop you there dale so you're you're saying that we have this thing we've got to churn through and it's horrible and etc that is one view if as a school leader we go in with that view we're setting ourselves up to fail right We have to start thinking, okay, these are things that need to be done because of the system, because of the Department of Education's guidelines, yada, 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 yada. And how can we make this relevant to the young people we've got? How about, I mean, I've done this before. I have gone, we have to study this. I've got to give you this information that you've got to regurgitate. That is the system. And I've sat, especially secondary school, where they can do it. And I've sat with them and gone, how are we going to do this in our classroom in a way that makes you want to be a part of this. I say, and I I give them the choice. I say, look, I could stand here and I could talk and talk at you. I could just tell you all the information, you write it down, or is there another way that would work for you? And sometimes what's very interesting, some children say to me, I actually do just need a fact sheet because I'm really good at learning things like in my head, if it's in a fact sheet, I can tick it off. Great, I provide that resource for those kids. Then I have other kids who say, I can understand it when you talk to me, but if you give me a sheet, I can't, like, the information doesn't come in. And, you know, that's a very, very small example. But I think when we're looking at school-wide behaviour, I think one little thing we should pick up on before we end is this word consistency. Yes. I am always asked, or or told rather, there's no consistency in our school. That's the problem with our behaviour. Now, my question back is always, 
what are we being consistent of? We are in a planet that is constantly moving and changing. We change with the seasons. We change with day and night. We change with all these things. So if we're going to be consistent, let's not set ourselves up for a fall. Let's not try and be consistent and hold really tight on something that actually our very world that we live in is telling us is is going to shift and change. So there are, I think this is going back to to the other podcast we did of like, the way that I do behavior and the way that you do behavior is going to be completely different because we're completely different people. And yes, we might have some consistency through there. For example, the kids have all got to be wearing their blazers in the classroom. Now, what I think about that, whether that's right, wrong, little, it's kind of irrelevant. I've been hired by the school or, you know, I'm a senior leader in the school. This decision's been made, blazers on in the classroom, right? Fine. There might be some consistency there. But how about what's more important, the consistency of that or the consistency of understanding and compassion and kindness so that when Lucy has broken her arm and it's really awkward for her to wear her blazer, she doesn't get a detention for it. Yeah. I, I'm someone, I run hot. Yeah. Yeah. I will generally not, if I say I'm in the least clothes in the room, that does sound wrong. Nice, yeah. Generally, I will just be in a t-shirt and trousers or t-shirt and shorts. And you'll be in the office or I'll be out. I'll be out in February in shorts and a trouser if it's a warm day. I don't wear by the calendar. I wear by the weather. Yeah, funny that one. Yeah. I get hot in schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always do. So I don't go in with a, I literally, I suppose I do when I go visit a school, I take my hoodie off and I'm in my shirt and I still get hot. Yeah. If I had to wear a blazer and I did have to wear a blazer and I got migraines and I miss lessons, I miss learning to wear a blazer. What it, it's things like that. Yeah. But yeah, to me, if you cannot be consistent on a rule, and there's things like if you've got one three days a week, you've got someone doing uniform checks out, and then the other day they're not, and you're going, yeah. well, actually, is that's not that becomes inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to look at, well, it's Tuesday, I'll pull them up because if it was Monday, that would have been caught by someone else. Therefore, it's been accepted. It should be what is it that is always going to be the yeah. same? What can we as a school, keep consistent. And if you can't keep it consistent, kind of drop it back. Yeah, don't pretend that you are. Because <laughs> yeah. the kids will find that the kids will find the loophole. And I think as well, yeah. one of the issues that's coming up, up a lot at the moment is senior leaders saying to me that staff are not consistently dealing with issues. Now, when I then talk to staff, what I am discovering increasingly is that because there's a lack of confidence. There's a lack yes. of confidence. They don't know how to deal with that type of behavior. And so it's easier to ignore it. And so what I would deeply, deeply, deeply encourage there is you've got to get support and training. Since lockdown, we have seen an increase in behavior issues in terms of frequency, but also an increase in what they are. So back chatting has become storming out the classroom or throwing the desk. The terrible three have become the terrible 15. And so you've then got a staff who are dealing with more extreme behaviour situations without the support or training to do so. I'm going to throw back at you that those staff probably aren't regulated. Yes, possibly. So how so how do we support them to be? I think is the question as leaders, isn't it? It's like how do if I've got a staff member who is too nervous to deal with the kind of instant going down on in the corridor and it's easier for them to just scurry in their classroom, then where do they need support to feel more 
comfortable themselves walking down the corridor. I mean, walking, some school corridors are terrifying. <laughs> yeah. They really are. But, but when you say dealing with, my head, from all my experience of being in schools and watching schools, means confrontation. Yeah. Yeah? Staff walk, child walks out and shouldn't be allowed. There has to be a confrontation. And people go, well, they've got to be safe. They can't do this. They can't do, yeah? There's, and that's a bit, I get lost in the rules and things like that. And I don't have, but in my head, when I see it, deal with it, yeah, I hear confrontation. Yes, exactly. Whereas sometimes they need to blow off steam and come back. And there's a whole way of how can we deal with that safely. Yeah. But then it's afterwards, yeah? If somebody's not regulated and you're not regulated, you're not going to reach a nicer conclusion. Yeah, exactly. if one of you, at least one of you is regulated, we're going to get a better outcome. If both of you are regulated, it's even better. So if you are not confident with that child walking out your room, you're not going to be regulated. They're already not regulated. It's not going to end well. I want to give an example, just a very practical example. Let's say you've got an issue with lateness, which is common, right? Yep. And your rule is three lates in a week and you get a detention, right? Fine. Yep. And that needs to be consistent. And I understand that you need a you need some kind of approach to this. I want to be very clear. I am not saying that you're not consistent in that approach. What I'm saying is you do that and you find out why there's the lateness. Now, it could be that one kid is late because the bus timetable changed. They live in the other part of the city and they're not getting the connection. It could literally be that. Yep. Another kid, it might be that actually they are the main carer for a younger sibling. They take their sibling to primary school before they get to secondary school. And actually you giving them detention means they're not there to pick up their sibling. So it's, it's not, I'm not saying don't put the consequences in. Sometimes they are very important. You graffiti my desk, you need to wash it. That is a consequence. You break my stapler, you have to mend my stapler. <laughs> like, the consequences are very can be very effective and useful and what's going on why is that so we can be do you see what i'm saying we can be consistent with consequences yep. but you've got to have the end because if you don't have the end you are you could be punishing a child for looking after their sibling essentially now for me year 11 i was late every single day we would have registration from 8 30 to 8 50 I would walk in at about 8.45 and put my tie on, sit down, the bell would go, I'd get up and walk yeah. out. I was late every single day of that year. What did I miss out on? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Why am I going in and sitting yeah. in that room for 20 minutes for no reason? Now, as a school, yeah. you might be saying, well, we give lots of information. Now, if we do this, we do this, we do this. That's relevant to you, school. How is that relevant to the children? What is that time for, really, from the child's point of view? Yeah? Think about that. Think about assemblies. What is that assembly for in point of the... Some assemblies, yeah, on safeguarding, social media. There's loads of stuff, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, all that. Lot. Yes. Other assemblies are sometimes just someone standing on stage sharing information with a thousand board pupils in mm -hmm. front of them. There are things like that where you've got to give a little bit of understanding and also put yourself back when you were that age and go, what was it like for you? And that's the thing is, the teacher never, don't think you end up, you just didn't bother marking me late. Because what is he going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. What is going to change? 
And I was that, again, going back to my previous one, I talked about coming across as arrogant and realizing it's like, you tell me why I should be here, what benefit it will give me, and I'll be here. Then I waited. And there was silence. So I said, thank you. I don't have to be on time then. And I admit that as a 13-year-old boy doing that, or 15-year-old, I probably came across a really yeah, horrible child. <laughs> I did get called arrogant by a teacher, and I got called, that's nice, what does that mean? And she sent me off to get... And I get there, and I now look back and go, yes, I was a little... But also, in my world, in my context, and in what I had in my head and my knowledge and my experiences, it was a waste of time. They weren't able to explain to me in any way that made sense to me why I needed to or be there. have a conversation from a kind of an individual level. Okay, I'm going to be honest. The reason you've got to be here is because it's a school rule. That's not, I can see that's not motivating you. What would yes. motivate you? What would be useful for you in this time in the morning? You know, and, and kind of work with it in that way as well. So that they are keeping what, consistent on making, you know, encouraging you to be on time. And at the same time going, okay, he's actually made a good point. Let's see if we can work with it. And that's the thing is sometimes, yeah, you get later on in life and you're going, oh, I get that. Now I got the really wrong move. And you get that. But in that moment, you're dealing with a 13, yeah. 14 year old, 15 year old mind. Who going, I literally, you ask my daughters, I ask my daughters, what do you do in registration? They go, generally, absolutely yeah. nothing. We just have to sit yeah. there. I go, why? But there will be reasons that it's got time to register. And if they are late, this is the thing, right? If people are late, we've got this buffer that they're not impacting that first lesson. There are general reasons for it. Interestingly, I went to a school that actually did it the other way around. And they did it because of DIA, Drop Everything and Read. It was a literacy um, initiative. And they just, so they were doing drop everything and read in form time. And then they discovered that the kids that were always late are more likely to be the kids with the lower literacy level. So they were missing out on the intervention that was meant to be for them. So what they did is they changed the entire timetable. They had first period start at whatever it was, half eight, like the bell went for the start of school. They were in lesson. And they put form time after second period because by that time, those kids had turned up and they would get that literacy. <laughs> very, very interesting way to go about it. But it is just don't do this the way we've always done yes. it. Or, well, this worked for me. Or this is what I did at school. Yeah, we're in a very different world. We are in lots of different ways. It's, and if you look at Mr. Dyson, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say Elon Musk, I've gone off him. But lots of other amazing people, a lot of them are neurodiverse. They think outside the box. They are the people changing the world. The person who went, we can clean up the oceans with plastic. We can do this. We can do this. We've got this. Various things that people just go, I want to change something. I want to do something. Greta Thunberg yeah. is a great one for most people go, well, no, uh, you're only a little girl. You should be in school. You shouldn't be saying this. You should be just doing your history homework. And she just went, no, I'm going to say it. I'm going to do this. And she went and did it. And she is changing the world. And I think coming back to what we talked about at the start, as in rules, and I've, I've written on this as well, don't forget that some of the greatest rule breakers have changed the world in a positive way. I mean, Rosa Parks yes. was a rule breaker. She needed yes. to be. The suffragettes were rule breakers. They needed to be. If we hadn't had those people breaking rules, then we would still be living in a very, very different world and society. And I, I mean, my that blog post that I've written on this actually that is is like, when are we going to get a woman on the moon? 
it wasn't until a couple of years ago I didn't realize we we haven't had a woman on the moon yet and I was like how do we get a woman on the moon and then you look at all the kind of systemic bias against and why that happens and it starts right from the start you know stem women in stem how we teach very small children their preferences you know it starts right down there so currently to be a woman on the moon you need to be a rule breaker you need to have at some point during that journey have gone actually no this is for me even though the world's telling me it's not and I think this is what our education system in Britain is doing very badly at the moment it's it essentially says in that Victorian way here's the system we are going to create lots of things the same like a factory And if you don't fit into that for whatever reason, you know, whether it is neurodiverse or you've got these needs or you've experienced trauma or what, whatever it could be, if you don't fit that system, you're not going to do well. That is what our education essentially says to our young people. And yet, as you've just said, we know that some of the people who are making the most profound positive change in our world are those very people who didn't fit in. I would just sum up our education system too, because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because all those rule breakers, they didn't just go, that's a stupid rule. I'm going to break it. Why? Because I'm bored. They looked at that rule and went, that rule is wrong. Yes. That rule is limiting me. It's limiting others. That rule shouldn't be there. Yeah. It's not just because it's, just, it's oh, it's just a rule. They looked at that rule and went, that rule is wrong. It's no need for that rule. And they broke that rule. They're not doing it because they're bored and they're being rebels. And it's just, oh, it's a rule. Let's break any old rule. That rule will break that rule. They broke specific rules for a purpose and a reason which has made the world a better yes. place. And we do have to look at the other side that says, I mean, I don't know about you, but I am not saying we don't have rules or structures because that's anarchy. And I have been in anarchy type situations and I don't feel safe in them. So it's about how do we establish systems and communities in which we have a buy-in? And one of the ways that I do this when I work with schools, particularly around um, behaviour approaches, if a school is looking to rewrite the behaviour policy or rewrite or, re, you know, really actually look at what's going on in behaviour school-wide, is the, one of the first things I do is set up a what I call a cross-party consultation. If we're going to talk about behaviour in the room, we need the people who deal with the most challenging situations every day. That's your teaching assistants. That's your dinner supervisors. That's your caretaker who gets told where to go all the time because they don't have the same levels of respect to the teachers. It's also the kids known for their behavior. I get them in the room. We also have the kids who are disrupted by the behavior. Like if you are really, if you really want to unpick and create a behavior policy that is not a dusty thing on a shelf or virtual shelf, um, but something that becomes a guide and a useful tool for your staff, You have to have buy-in from as many people as possible. And that's the kind of work that I do is support school leaders with that process over time so that you actually have something that becomes a functional, (laughs) useful approach across the school. I've just come up with the four R's, the first two are together, reasonable rules, respect, and relationships. Generally, if you have all that together, it works. Yeah, you got the reasonable rules come from having the relationships and building them, and they work with that respect and relationship. But I challenge you though, because reasonable rules, reasonable to whom? Usually the people who but are in power, that, usually the people in power have the privilege, and then we have the cycle and the cycle and the cycle. I, but that's going yeah. to what you're saying that relationship yes. is 
you, the relationships build those yes. rules. It's not a, from the top yeah. dictated. Mm-hmm. That's not reasonable. Yeah. Reasonable means accepted, yes. agreed. Teachers don't buy in if they don't agree with the yeah. rules yeah. as well. That's the other thing. If teachers aren't buying in, they don't like the rules either. There's lots of things. And generally, there are schools around here which some are outstanding, some are not. But I would say a lot of the schools around here, they're doing well. Yeah, their, their rules aren't over. There was that school many years ago who bland, banned triangular flapjacks because they could be used as weapons. Wow, I didn't hear about that one. That was over in Essex Way. That's going far, and that's literally going, yeah, you're dealing with the wrong end of the spear there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not where well, you've got to limit what they throw, and you can't even give them a detention for throwing. It's why did they throw it in the first place? Where are they which caused them to throw it? That's what we should be working with, not limiting the choice of weaponry they can throw. Kind of. We've been, um, I'm going to say, prattling on for a long Mm -hmm. time. We have meandered all over the place, but generally it's that consistent. It's uh, the word reasonable adjustment is only actually mentioned in law in the Equality Act, I believe. But that's what it's about that reasonable adjustment. And And generally, reasonable adjustment is you can apply that at a whole school level. What is a reasonable rule? that we can all follow. And I think that you you have to have that you have to have the conversation there because my reasonable and your reasonable are different. So it's it's Yes. I think I I, I struggle a lot because um I know for example in the recent uh, police bill that now enables um police to have um more power to stop protests on the street which is inherently discriminative to certain groups. Um the word reasonable is used there. And it's a very proud, I I see where you're going, but I would want to unpick that. So to me, reasonable means everyone created them. That's that relationship part. If someone from the top says reasonable, that's not reasonable if it's come from the top. Interesting. And this is something I'm just going to reflect back on you. I've noticed that you have a negative bias towards the boss, even though you are one. You find it, you were saying like, oh, it's not something that I necessarily like share as the no. first thing and we've got to we've got to think as well though there are some leaders who are brilliant leaders so you can't just have a blanket rule that the people at the top oh. do you see what i mean brilliant leaders are leaders not because of their job title yes. they are leaders because they get things and they understand and they engage the leader in a lot of schools isn't the head teacher or the deputy it's often that teaching assistant who's been there for 20 odd years and she it usually is a she she knows all the kids cousins she's taught three generations she drives the minibus she gets all the the presents for the tomboller at christmas she does everything there is a leader and there is a job title and they're very (laughs) different and not i try and be a leader i don't be a job title that's the thing it is i am negative if someone walks up to me with a job title I'm not interested. Generally, you're doing it yeah. wrong. I, I should respect you because of the values you're presenting me, not because your job title demands it. Yes. And I was horrible. In my college, I did computing, three-hour exam. Yeah. I finished it in an hour and a half. I did lots of others. My sister did the same thing years earlier. She was allowed to leave. We weren't allowed to leave. We didn't find this till we sat in the exam. So I had almost an hour and a half. And I did multiple of these. I said to her, why can't we leave? 
And she went, because you're disrupting. I went, Mies, are we all sitting here for another hour and a half? He's going to be more disruptive. Because you're flicking your pen. You're like tearing the yeah. paper. Yeah. And she went, if you have an issue with that, write a letter to the principal. <laughs> and then that was the point I handed it to her because I knew that was coming. Yeah. So in the exam, after I finished my exam, I'd written on my spare paper a letter to the principal and then demanded a, a meeting with the principal, yeah. which I didn't get. I was horrible as a child. I do get that now. Aww. But again, I didn't just pick a rule, any old rule. Yeah. I literally went, this rule is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that rule is wrong. And generally when one person sees it's wrong and others following them and you have momentum, that rule is probably wrong. I have a thing with my colleague, John, if you see a sign which says keep off the grass, yeah, generally they recognise that you're trying to walk across the grass. We, we go to some training event where the straight line path is the straightest, but the actual path goes complete yeah. diagonal. And you're like, I need to get to there. Why is there not a path yeah. there? And you can see where it's worn. And they put it like, you're recognising there is a problem. Your way of solving it is to put more signs up, not to address the problem. And I, sometimes people sit there and go, I've put my, I've, I'm King Canute, whatever it was. I've put my chair. The tide will not come in. This is what's going to happen. No, what's going to happen is kind of what's going to happen. And you can get on different levels. I'm not an anarchist. I just, there are rules you follow because they're sensible and there are rules which are stupid. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end, Dale. That's, that's a great tip. Did you know, this is a stupid rule, did you know that if you record something off TV and keep it for more than seven days, it is illegal? I did not know that. I don't have a TV. Did you know recording from a CD to a tape is wow. illegal? Wow, 90s, eight-year-old me is... Making that mixtape for that journey in that yeah. car, that was illegal. You only bought a license to listen to that music via CD. So that is a rule that we didn't know about. <laughs> it's a stupid rule, but we all follow. We do all broke. So I think there are some rules make sense, and some rules, even though they're there, everyone just ignores them. So it gets, as we said, right at the beginning, right, right at the beginning, it's complicated. Mm. And what will work for a school in London, yeah. and what will work for a school in Penzance. Mm-hmm. Very, very different. Even what would work in a school down one end of the street compared to the other end of the street can be very, very Definitely. Different. <laughs> Definitely. So thank you for coming on the show today. You've given me another link so people can get hold of you yes. as well. So I'll be putting that, that link in the show is notes. for my Behaviour Lead Mastermind. So if you are in charge of behaviour in some way in your school or college, so you might be an assistant head or you might be the pastoral lead, Senko, you might be the head, depending on your school. It's a space we get together once every half term, British half term, and I will do a sharing, a teaching. Often it's sharing best practice around behaviour that I've seen in my research and in the work that I do. And then the second half is gorgeous. All of the members of the mastermind get a chance to ask questions and to go, this is happening in my school. And everyone keeps asking me what to do. And I think we're going to do this, but what can we actually do? And it's a gorgeous community. So yeah, if you are in that role and you're kind of um, leading on behaviour, and I really like inverted commas on that because often people say to me, I'm supposed to be the lead on behaviour, but I think like 
uh, and it can be quite an isolated role sometimes. So that's why that's kind of sprung up. And that is for you to get, you can either come along to one session on a particular topic or you can come along and be part of it for the whole year. So yeah, come and play. Marvellous. So you'll find that in our show notes, as always, along with Adele's contact details. You can find her on Twitter and things like that. And you'll find the show notes, as always, wherever you're listening to the podcast or on the website. And as always, thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed, click on that subscribe button, follow us on social media, share us on social media, tell everyone how amazing my guests are. And on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, just search for The Sendcast or tag us as The Sendcast and you'll find us. And as always, let's talk about B-squared. We help you to show progress for your pupils with SEND. Yeah, whatever area you're looking at, early years, engagement model, primary, functional life skills, employability, anything like that, we have a way of showing progress for pupils with SEND. And it's the same, England, Scotland, Wales, we have you covered. Have a look at our B-squared website, and on there you'll find all about our training courses, our conferences. You can read our blog, you can watch me talk about assessment and data and many other things for hours with all of our webinars, all on that website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me to take you through our software in the show notes too. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me too. Thank you. Bye, everyone.